0: Hello, everybody. I'm Dave Jaskow. And I'm Alan Altman. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Today, discussing the Billy Joel, not classic, A Minor Variation. A Minor Variation is the fourth track on his 12th and final pop album entitled The River of Dreams. The album was released August 10th, 1993 and debuted at number one and lasted a whopping 56 weeks on the Billboard charts. In the ranking of our Christopher Bonano's 2015 Vulture article, Elon, do you want to guess where this comes out out of 121 songs?
1: (laughs) Okay, I'm glad you told me how many there were, because I might have gone above that number. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would guess this song is number 112. It is number 88. It's up there. Christopher Bonanno likes it more than I do.
0: Yes, and there is another poll where somebody ranked the top 100 songs, a bunch of fans, ranked the top 100 and it's
1: also eighty eight I mean that's weird well, that's the <laughs> definitive answer then It's always the eighty eighth best song
0: clearly, so obviously not one of Billy's classics, but uh Elon, your thoughts on a minor variation
1: It's got a good groove it's you know if you're if you're drinking a lot, which I assume Billy Joel was when he wrote this song, then it, it's like if you want to feel bad, listen to this song while you're about eight bottles of wine into your night. <laughs>
0: See, I feel the opposite way. I wasn't familiar with the song, as, of course, with all Billy Joel songs, once I hear it, I kind of remember hearing it. But you know what I'm thinking about this album when it came out? Usually I've heard all of Billy Joel's albums, one song to the last in an entire sitting for every Billy Joel album because it's very easy. So I usually even know the, quote, minor ones. Um because uh i were like oh my god i remember that song when i was just listening to it in wherever my car or my house or whatever on cd and this one well i just don't remember at all when i heard it but i can't believe how much i enjoyed it i'm actually surprised that it's not a bigger billy joel song i really enjoyed it a lot which is not true for like the first show we did uh, but this one, I, or which was 52nd Street, which I did not enjoy. But a minor variation, I absolutely enjoy. I just really enjoy it. I like the bass line. I like the way the song kind of grooves, and I, it doesn't depress me when I've heard it, even though I know it is more of one of his more depressing and angry written songs.
1: Yeah, I thought that its it's got a good groove. I don't mind listening to it. It's not like a thing where when I was listening to it to prepare for this episode, I was like, oh, God, this song again. You know, because I listened to it like 10, 15 times probably. Um, I like it. I just think that if you look at his whole catalog of songs, this is not one that I would usually want to put on. But I wouldn't turn it off. Yeah, for me, I
0: think I feel differently. I really like this song, and I think I would listen to it more often than not. You know, you sent me... uh, a link about a a website that has some interesting information, especially on this particular song. And it has a different version, you know, with this river of dreams album, as you know, he recorded a whole set. He was obviously in a very bad place again, even though being married to Christie Brinkley, of course, this is something we can't understand. We don't know what goes on in private, it's just kind of funny when somebody says they're in a bad place when they're married to Christie Brinkley. <laughs> but anyway, that's a whole nother thing. Uh, But um, he was in a bad place. We know that this song clearly represents the lawsuit that he was going through where he found out he had no money, that his brother-in-law had really completely dicked him over. And all this stuff that a musician, a really good one, always has to go through but shouldn't. These kind of lawsuits that have destroyed, which maybe it did because this was his final album. So these lawsuits have destroyed people like Prince and George Michael, who never came back from dealing with the man and took away their artistry. And here's another example where he pretty much knew this was his final album. And boy, he wasn't kidding. It's not like The Who, who always says that we're, we're finished, and then they come back. I mean, Billy Joel has made very consistent that this was it.
1: It was actually two lawsuits, because in 89 is when he sued his manager, who was his ex-brother-in-law, who took all that money from him, and he got a small settlement from that. But then in 92, he also sued his lawyer, who also stole money from him. Right, that's right. So it was like this feeling of betrayal, like over and over. These people who he trusts are screwing him over. And like you said, he's he's planning to stop recording. How is he going to make money back again? Um, Of course, it turned out great for him. He's a cash cow. He could play live forever and...
0: Just well he didn't probably
1: know didn't know that at the
0: time though you know playing live i mean you know he didn't know he was going to do this madison square garden thing when he wrote this but again it's a cash cow in the sense that he knew what he needed he made money off this album I maybe mean, debuted at number one it had a couple of hits i mean it's it's very easy for this guy to make money if he if he wanted to do another album it would have made another more money uh you know he obviously knew how to write the hits and it's funny about this particular one a minor variation is since it's a bluesy song and i do not like blues i am not a fan in any way but this is and this is the whole thing about billy joel here's billy joel writing a blues song that i enjoy that he somehow made it good enough for me who doesn't like the blues because this is how talented he is at just kind of speaking to the masses.
1: Yeah, and it's actually not like a typical blues song. A lot of times an artist will do like their blues song, and it's that, it's that classic blues riff that you always hear, and this song is, doesn't sound like that. What's funny is what it really reminds me of, is, and I keep getting back to Van Halen. I don't know why. I never would have thought that Billy Joel and Van Halen are so similar, but doing this show, I feel like every song, I've, I see Van Halen elements, and this song really sounds like a slightly slowed-down version of Finish What You Started. Oh, yes, Absolutely. Especially the opening. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that opening. Not really the chorus, but, like, the, the verses, the opening. It's, like, it really sounds a lot like it. And he sings kind of in a Sammy Hagar tone throughout this song. Um, it just has, like, less guitar and more saxophone. That, that's the Billy Joel essence of it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, interesting. And uh, what I was talking about again—that's that's what I remember now. When you sent me the site, they have a different version. When he had done the Shelter Island version, he obviously was trying to stay away. He didn't use his band members. They're still pissed about that and this album. Uh, Liberty DeVito is still angry about it. Uh, but but so it was. He did not like the sessions he was doing. Maybe he was doing it with the band at the time at Shelter Island. He just went out, took a vacation, and started writing these songs. And then all these songs were re-recorded by, I think the guy's name is Danny Kochmer. And he was Don Henley's guy. He was a guitar player, but he was also a producer. And then he ended up producing the album. They rewrote all the songs except for, I think it's called Shades of Grey on this album. They were all re-recorded. But there's an original recording of this song from the Shelter Island ones. That's a a raw uh, song that they have on this website. That was
1: great. Much I like it a lot more also. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A lot more different, a lot more uplifting in a way than this one. I'm surprised that they didn't feel that that was good enough to go on the album, but I guess he was looking for something a little more soulful. And this guy, I guess, Danny uh, Kochmer bought it to him in this uh, in re-recording it.
1: Yeah. What I liked about that version was that it sounded, the vocals sounded more like Billy Joel. Yeah, he wasn't trying to put on a character like in this song where he's going for a little more gruff.
0: And then when he used the Sesame Musician, the the part I like the most is this T.M. Stevens who's on bass. I really like the bass line on this, and it made me uh made me happy, which is odd because, you know, it's not that kind of song. <laughs> he's very angry in it, and like you said, the betrayal is throughout it.
1: It's kind of funny though, because sometimes that's what the blues does. You hear about someone else's depression, and it makes you feel better about yourself. You're like, well, that Billy Joel man, he's having a <laughs> rough time. I feel pretty good.
0: Yeah, that's true. But it is funny when people like this where they lose all their money, but you're like, yeah, but they know how to make money. You know, again, I mean, you feel somewhat bad because nobody wants to go through that. We love Billy so much, but it certainly would be easy for him to put a few concerts together. I always feel, you know, about our comedian friends are able to, you know, the good ones are always like, well, just, you know, I need money. So I got to put together a tour.
1: Oh, yeah. And there's <laughs> just always a demand for it. They're not doing the tour in uh, some bar with seven stragglers it's like right. it's gonna Wouldn't be great be they're gonna make that money
0: if elon altman had a manager he goes yeah put together a tour for me i need to make some cash i'm having a baby <laughs> you, <Yeah>. know, <laughs> you know you know who started doing that mark twain he had tax problems he's like put together a tour for me i always feel he started it all
1: <laughs> good old twain
0: yeah twain was all right but uh, it's one of those things too is doing uh, some more research about it and When people, people like us who are, you know, fans to the end, when they talk about hidden classics, they do mention this one. They mention all for Lena, you know, the ones that aren't the hits and they mention this one.
1: Right. Fans always like you're not going to everyone's a hipster when it comes to an artist they like. So it's always like, oh, who cares for the big hits? I'm not going to listen to, you know, to one of those songs. I want to hear one of the album tracks that I can really enjoy personally that the masses don't always know about. And there was a funny video, actually. He's only played this song live once. And there's a video on that website that you're talking about of him playing it at Madison Square Garden in 2018. And before he plays it, he doesn't say what he's going to play, but he just teases it. He says, you know, during the sound check, me and the guys were working on something and we're not sure if we're going to play it. And the crowd's going crazy because they're thinking, oh, it's going to be one of these songs we love, like All for Lena. And then he starts playing a minor variation <laughs> and you can tell the crowd is kind of like, oh. And then he stops after a minute. He doesn't finish the song. And then he's like, we're going to keep working on it. Yeah, I, know. And I checked I s- on setlist.fm and he never played it again after that.
0: Yeah, he only played it once on February 21st, 2018th on his 49th Madison Square Garden show before the 50th. I guess he was like, well, let's try some other stuff so I can make the 50th special. And yeah, clearly it didn't work. And you know, the first thing I thought of Elon being both comedians uh, and loving Billy Joel is uh, can you imagine if you tried out one of your new jokes in Madison Square Garden? <laughs> you know, what I mean, That's, he's <laughs> trying like, well, let's give this song a try. We don't play it often. And, and then it doesn't work. He's like, well, I guess we'll move on. I mean, it's an easy recover. He goes, how about Piano Man? <laughs> you know, like, it's, So it's easy to recover. Whereas like a comic, you know, where are you going to try out? You're going to try out new material at the, at your Madison Square Garden show. That's when, you know, you are the shit. And uh, you can really just do no wrong in anybody's minds. You're playing your 49th show, sellout show at Madison Square Garden. And thank goodness. Why not try? I mean, that's why people keep going, because he's like, let's take a shot at a minor variation. Now, I don't know why they stopped in the middle. Why I, I, I was enjoying it, but I guess he wasn't feeling it. And I guess he felt the crowd wasn't feeling it. But uh, you got to love that he was trying because how do you keep people coming back? And and that's the thing about Billy Joel. He's got so many hits. So if he doesn't play Piano Man or Scenes from Italian Restaurant at one time, he might play Allentown, and people are okay with that because they know next time maybe he'll be. You know, if he doesn't mix it up, then that's going to be a disaster. It's not like
1: other bands where if they do not play their hit, people are going to be furious. Okay, so... um now, Dave, you're you're a multi-instrumentalist, right? You play you play piano, you play guitar, yeah, I mean, I
0: play the piano, and I could play a
1: little bit of guitar. Yes. I'm not OK, boring. so you're you're out of the two of us. You are our Billy Joel. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And I'm just some <laughs> schmuck. But um, so maybe I don't know if you know enough about music to answer this question, but do you think the title of the song is a pun? Is the song in the key A minor?
0: No, it's not. Actually, I believe it's actually in a major chord. Damn so, it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the thing. It's not, I wanted it to be in um, Christopher Gessay in Spinal Tap. He said, it's the saddest of all chords and it's always a minor chord, but no, that turns out you're, I think they've mentioned that it can be played in a minor chord, but no, I believe this version is played in a major chord. <laughs> oh, it would be cool if it was
1: like, I think we'll it's do different. it in A minor and we'll call it A minor variation and it'll blow. Oh up.
0: yeah, no, I believe
1: it's actually in D major. <laughs> no or like in the simpsons when they have the when the barbershop quartet is called the B-Sharps. The B-Sharps, that's right, yeah. <laughs> but no, sorry to it, it, that would
0: have been awesome, but yes, no, I don't think that is the case. In fact, why is it called a minor variation, do you know?
1: I think it has to do with the lyrics. I think he mentions something about his depression being a, just a minor variation from his normal
0: Well, this album. Remember when we were talking about Fifty Second Street and the way the album was crafted? It's funny. He does craft his albums, or at least people used to before. You know, he's coming from the old school where the album, you know, has a first side and a second side. And then this was basically just, you know, I don't even know if it was on vinyl back. I think they were still making vinyls back in the nineties, but it definitely came out on CD. And it it does. It is the thing where the first side is you know, as you say, maybe bleak and hopeless. And then it kind of turns around on the second side, I like the way he does seem to craft his albums in that particular way. Like we were talking about 52nd Street, which has three, three and three, you know, of all the hits three and then, you know, something else in three and then the depression part in three <laughs> with the blues and 52nd Street. So this is, uh, this is, uh, you know, song four. So this is uh, a very bleak album to begin with.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. The second side really does like lift you up. It's got River of Dreams to hit and, has, and it ends on a nice note. The whole thing is it's a nice wrap up to his career, really. Which is amazing that he said, this is the wrap up to my career. So here's my final album.
0: Unbelievable that uh, he he just I mean, that's why I guess you love him. He was like, no, I'm out.
1: Yeah, it's very hard for athletes or for musicians or anyone famous to go out on top and Billy really did that. He said, this is all the material I want to do. I, I'm not going to write anything better than what I put out already.
0: And he's still clearly the man. All right, Elon, I'm going to be honest with you today. I don't have any trivia for this song. <laughs> I just, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't think of a thing. I mean, you know, could I have some The Bridge trivia, or rather uh, River Dreams trivia? Maybe. But uh, I just uh, figured I would leave it to you this time. Sorry.
1: <laughs> That's okay. This song doesn't deserve two trivia questions. This is a one trivia question song. Agreed. So here's my trivia question. This song, a minor variation, clocks in at a lengthy 5 minutes and 36 seconds. What is the longest song on one of Billy Joel's studio albums?
0: That's an that's an excellent question. I don't know the answer, but I will tell you that was the first thing that surprised me when you and I were both listening to this song again, you know, knowing we were going to do the podcast. I was shocked that you know, I think I was doing something else and doing some more research while it was on. I'm like, wait, this still, song is still going? It's very surprising how long it goes. It's not like it goes to a different place. It's that same bass line the entire time, which, again, I enjoy. But it is a long song, and I, don't, I wonder why it's so long. And so for the answer to that, uh, Billy Joel so rarely has anything over five minutes. I'm going to take a guess at maybe Big Man on Mulberry Street. I don't know why that came to mind. That seemed like an endless song. Uh, can I take another guess?
1: Yeah. Take one more guess. Um, it's not McName, Is it
0: scenes from an Italian restaurant?
1: Yes, that's what it is. Oh, all
0: right. Well, I took a logical guess. I, you know, after I was thinking about it for a while, how long is that song?
1: Seven minutes and 37 seconds.
0: Wow. But that's but that song makes sense that it's long. It goes through so many different things. And this song, it's the same (laughs) beat over and over again. It's odd to make it so long.
1: It's funny because you're right. Like this song is very repetitive and it kind of just goes on and on. But when I was listening to it, it kind of went by fast for me. I would always be like, oh, Shades of Grey is on all of a sudden. Because, you know, it just go into the next song. And I kept hearing the beginning of Shades of Grey a million times. No, I just. So it, it kind of went fast for me, which maybe is a good thing. Yeah, no, it, it, I just remember thinking, I'm like, wait, something's something still go? Like, it,
0: it wasn't bothering me. But, yeah, I noticed that it was long. And then, uh, yeah, I saw I'm like, boy, that's a pretty long Billy Joel song.
1: So, Dave, I don't know if you know this, but Weird Al Yankovic actually did a parody of this song. Is that right? Yeah, he did. Instead of a uh, minor variation, he did a song called A Diner Cashier Station. Hey now! Oh my God, <laughs> that's awful. It's, What's uh, that about, yeah. <laughs> well, don't say it was awful. It's it's a great song. I actually think it's one of his hidden gems. It's about, you know those diners where you go and they'll give you the check at your table, but you have to go walk it up to that podium to pay? I hate that. Yeah, that's more depressing than the subject matter of a minor variation. <laughs> You know, but what? Weird Al made it fun. He's the king. <laughs> You're absolutely right on
0: both accounts. Well, on that note, I think that about does it for a minor variation on Billy Joel A to Z. My name is Dave Joskow. I'm Alan Altman. And we will see you next time on Billy Joel A to Z. It ain't
1: no babe.
0: It's just a